late there, Andy. Huh? It's a split second. (laughs) You are the worst. (laughs) How many many times did I tell you you were firing that song? (laughs) I got this one. We usually play it whenever our good friend Warren Cromartie joins us because, of course, Crow... Uh, used to hang out with uh, Geddy Lee and, and Rush, and actually appears on at least one of their albums that they recorded at Le Studio in Warren Heights, yep. not far from Le where Studio. you live. Yeah, there's the there's still like a, a force to try and revive that studio and bring back Le Studio, but you know it's it's like one dude <laughs> trying to trying to get the studio rebuilt. What's there now? It's still like on the site. It's just like this is like the remnants of a foundation. Yes. yes. Yeah. I haven't been by in a while though, so I should go yeah, check. Jeff, it for out. those of you who aren't aware, I know most of you are music fans, but you should check out the number of artists and classic albums. It's pretty that amazing. Were produced at the studio on Melnick in the afternoon. It's a very special moment coming up here, along with Andy Bennett and John Still, Mitch Melnick until six. The NFL story with uh, Eric Edholm after four every Friday. Aaron Ward, it's AAA Friday. Get your questions in. You can ask Aaron anything. Just keep them brief. Text us at 11690. Over the holidays, George Strombolopoulos, Strombo, was appointed to the Order of Canada for his leading contributions to Canadian media and journalism as a renowned broadcaster and producer in television and radio. The hour was as good as any interview show that so I've good. ever seen on this in this country. It won six Gemini Awards. Uh, he also won a Canadian Screen Award for Best Host in a Variety, Lifestyle, Reality, and Performing Arts for George Strombolopoulos tonight. And he's always got something going on. He's always He just doesn't stop, but his gift is talking to people and sharing his passion for uh, information and entertainment and issues. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the show. The last time he was with us, I think he was interrupting a... Uh, a, a big CBC thing uh, at Place des Spectacles on stage. They made him. He made them wait while he was talking to us. Strombo, George, how you doing? God, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> wow. I think, hi, hi. I think it's uh, Cromarty was on. Is it the Signals record? He got the shout out on Signals for sure. Yeah, there might have been another one. Yeah. It could yeah. be. Hi, hi. Hello. Congratulations, hi, George. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What is? I, I, we spoke to Andy Kim, and we spoke to Tom Wilson. And so you're the third uh, dude in the last few months that we've spoken to after getting informed that they are appointed to the Order of Canada. How'd you find out? I got an email uh, a few weeks ago asking if I'd give them a call, but I thought they were asking me to call them because I had advocated on behalf of somebody else to get it. There's a very underappreciated Canadian musician who is a global superstar, but in Canada, you know, the media in Canada tends to only talk about two kinds of artists, and they don't understand how big some artists are around the world. So I've been advocating on behalf of this other artist, and so they said, give him a call, and I thought it was about that. So when they said to me, uh, what are you talking about? This is for you. And I went, huh? <laughs> like I was taken off uh, by surprise for a minute there, but uh, then I was uh, very grateful for it, for sure. Who's the and other artist? Mom, and she laughed. She laughed that you were appointed to the... She laughed like she didn't take it seriously? Well, she thought it was funny because she said, I can't comprehend, I can't reconcile the troublemaker little kid that I raised uh, (laughs) has this life, and I don't understand how that happened. So she just got a good kick out of it. Yeah, George raised in, uh, what, what was the area in Toronto? It's near the airport, right? The community? Yeah, yeah, Rexdale and Malton. That's where I'm from, Rexdale and Malton. Yeah. And uh, what did you know, like I knew early on, and John, I don't know if it's the same for you and Andy, we've probably discussed this before, but I knew early on because I was a, I was a radio junkie. I listened as a kid to the radio nonstop and all the 50,000 watt radio stations that we were able to pull in at night, overnight. 
how when did you know for sure that this is what you wanted to do Honestly, it didn't happen until uh, uh, later for me. Although I was a total radio junkie, and like you, I would late at night dial that AM dial to try to get as far as I could away um, and listen to stations. So I was listening to radio avidly. I would call talk radio stations to be a guest on the show when I was 11 to talk politics. That's I was I was very, very into radio, but I didn't actually know how you could do it, and I didn't think you could do it. So when I was uh, I was I didn't even know what I was going to do. Maybe I thought I was going to make independent films or something like that, or be an architect. Or but I got kicked out of art school, got kicked out of art class, got uh, I failed science, I failed uh, math. So I kind of had no options in my career. And to graduate in Ontario, I don't know what it's like in Quebec, but to graduate in Ontario, you needed an arts credit. The only one they had was actually my last choice of all the classes, which was drama, which I did not want to take. The just the prospect of being in theater was just would kill me. And then I was working at a movie theater as an usher again, thinking maybe I would make weird independent horror films uh, when I was a teenager and I went to get a motorcycle license, opened up a course calendar and saw radio broadcasting and went, ah, screw it. I'll take that. That was it. Like that's the extent of it. I applied for a radio college and then, uh, and then my career kind of happened, but it was never really part of the plan. Cause you know, you know me and Mitch, like I, to me, I love radio. Absolutely. But what I really love is sharing music and ideas and connecting people. So if I wasn't on the radio, I would just be doing that with my friends anyway. Well, I see. I, I recently saw, and you're so active, and it's so uh, enjoying and uh, informative to follow you on social media because you recently um, you went around New York City, right? And mm -hmm. you were you were basically uh, giving history lessons on some of the great moments and sights in in that city's rock and roll history. I, it is just um, you, you got it. You got the gift. Well, thank you. But you know what that moment, so that one, the Neil Young one, I, I was actually walking, uh, there was a vegan restaurant in the West Village, and I live in, the, my apartment in New York is in the East Village, so it's in the more punk rock side um, of, of New York, and where the Beastie Boys started, all that, the hardcore bands. So I, I see those, it's weird, you know, I'll, I'll go downstairs from my apartment and I'll walk just to get a bagel across the street, and I'll pass three places where monumental bands were formed. So I was walking to the West Village just to get a breakfast there one morning, and it's funny, I was walking with a friend of mine, and I just walked by this brick wall, and I stopped, and I looked at the brick wall, and they said, what? And I said, man, I know this brick wall. I know this brick wall. <laughs> and they said, what are you talking about? I said, I think this, hold on. So I looked it up, and I'm like, yep, this is the brick wall from the After the Gold Rush album from Neil Young. So I just I happened to know that um, because I'd stared at that record so many times. So I just thought, oh, I'm just going to film a quick video here. And then I also knew that around the corner was the Bob Dylan record because to me music is the whole reason why I think I got out of my life and why I'm okay is because of music. So I, uh, I, I know those record covers and I know those stories so well only because they're, you know, my mother's a very religious person and I'm not. But what I got was the fervor that she has for spirituality, I have that fervor for music. And so I can really connect to anything like that because it just makes my day. And I know sharing it makes people's day too because when they share it with me, I, I get so much joy out of it. I had no idea you lived in the East Village. I was just there in November. I was hanging out yeah, with Mark right. Lepage, my old pal from the Gazette. Who uh, I remember Mark, yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm right at 1st and 11th. So next time, hit me up. Please, yeah. I I, uh, I like to hang out at the Niagara. Jesse Mallon, God bless Jesse. He's going through a tough yeah. time yeah. since suffering a stroke. Oh, yeah. But uh, that's my favorite spot in the Lower well, East Side. That's the one with the great Joe Strummer mural on in Alphabet City right on the wall. That's it, wall. right across from Tompkins Square Park. So, John, still, as you're listening to Strombo uh, recount what led him to where he is now, did anything ring true to you? <laughs> I, I think I actually had a little bit more of a plan than George <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not really. I'm a bad example. I'm yeah. a, John, I'm no, a bad no, no. Example. Nobody should do it the way I do it because I honestly just, 
I see a brick wall and I speed up. I don't believe in self-care for me. Like, I put myself, <laughs> I'm living recklessly all, all the way to the very end. Nobody should do it this way. But I, I, I know you spoke about, like, talking, doing this with your friends if you weren't actually just doing this out here. Like, I, I don't want to say, do, do you do you check out, like, that LeBron James meme where it's like, it, how is this my life? But do you almost, like, I know your mom just did kind of the same thing with the Order of Canada, but do, do, do you look back and think, like, how... How did this come to be? It had to have there had to have been more steps outside of signing up for courses to radio and TV. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Well, I think I think you know this, right? And, and this is the same thing with the Order of Canada. Anything that anytime you are acknowledged for something in our business, there is a there is a a, a portion of that that you get because you have this, as Gord Downey wrote, you have this will and determination and grace, you know, to, to, to get through it, like that work ethic. But the grace part's really important. And I think that what's interesting about the grace line is it's not your grace all the time. It's the grace of others. So I, I know that my career, as if it's worked, it's because I have a work ethic that is I'm, – I'm, I'm the product of immigrants, right, below the poverty line immigrants. So work is the only way to survive. So I work – my work ethic is there. But I, I've worked with so many amazing people that have – had no reason to give me a break. I had some great bosses in my early days when I was working at the Fan, the sports station in Toronto, when I first started. Like, I, I had so many people who just looked at me and said, that kid, you know, I'm 21 years old. I was sleeping at the radio station. Like, that kid's trying his best. Let's give him an opportunity. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have a lot of amazing people. Give me an opportunity. So I'm very – so I definitely sometimes – you know, when I got to skate uh, on the ice at the Bell Center, that that to me, shooting a thing with the Habs and, and – uh, we're doing, I think it was we were doing it for a JFL. I remember looking around going, whoa, whoa, this is a thing. And I, when I was, you know, when the Habs had their 100th anniversary game, there was a letter that I wrote that they asked me to write that's in that program. Those things start, that connect to my childhood, that's why I sometimes get caught off guard. When I, when I, you know, I got to hang out with Joe Stroma, that kind of blew me away. But I, again, I fully realized that, sure, it's work ethic and all that other stuff, but there's just so much grace from others that have to play a role in you having any success in our business. George used to call people like me to go on the air on WF, not WFAN, but The Fan in Toronto, <laughs> right? I was, I was on all the time. Well, I started there when I was 20 years old, right? So when I was 20, I got on the air there. Um, uh, well, I was, doing, I was an op and a producer, and because I was there all the time, if there was a half an hour overnight that was they were replaying part of a Blue Jay game or something, I would actually go on the air, and I would throw to the clips. So whenever there was a free second on that, on that air, I was on. I was pulling 18-hour shifts four days a week there, just waiting for an opportunity to fill in the spot. Like, that's the one thing I have. I'm a maniac about craft, right? I love the craft, and I want to be great at this kind of thing. So I want to work really hard and try and learn. So the early days of radio for me, I was able to do that. Yeah, well, man, there, there's a major lesson in what George is, uh, yep. is, is telling us all here. Andy? Well, George, we're very close in age, and like I have, you know, similar working hours early in my radio career. I feel like I grew up alongside you, like Much Music VJ. I was obsessed with the hour. I think by osmosis, that's what I took in as like this is how you interview people. And I'm Thank wondering you. if there was, did you model that after anyone? Because it's it seems like it shouldn't be a rare thing that you actually like listen to people's answers and just have a conversation with them in an interview. But it kind of still is. And and where did you realize that that was the way to do it? I You know, honestly, I don't know that I ever thought about it in that way. But, I, but, but clearly, I mean, 
like if there, there's there's two real three things I think that are really crucial to being uh, really good at an interview if you can be good at it. Like you know, I, I get them right sometimes and I get them wrong sometimes. So it's never 100. Uh, percent You obviously have to prepare. You have to know stuff. You have to do that. But here's the thing: everybody can, pretty much everybody has access to the same information that you do. If they know how to use the internet, they can figure stuff out. If they know how to use a phone, they can figure stuff out. What's really crucial is to listen, but to know how to make connections with the research. So it's a life experience. One of the reasons I think I, I've been able to get away with this for as long as I have is I have a, a, a voracious appetite for life. I'm 51 years old, and I, I, I still feel like I'm 24, 27. And I, I, I work and feel and I'm passionate about life. The fire that I have is the same that I had when I was 18 that never goes away in me. And so that allows me to constantly try to experience life and watch life go by. So when I'm interviewing somebody, it's not really about me or about them, but it's about life, and that's key. And I, you know, my my mom when I was raised by this mom who was pretty remarkable, and she was a teenager when she got pregnant with me, and so she was really young, single mom, couldn't always afford a babysitter, had to work, had three or four jobs, so she would drop me off at a senior citizen's home in Toronto when I was ten, eleven, twelve years old, and she would uh, tell me to go in there, find a stranger, some old dude who had nobody, and said, "Your job as a human being." is to be there and to be good company for people who don't have somebody. So go listen because they've lived a life you'll never live. Go hang out with them, be their friend, but learn from them. So I was shy as heck and it was 20, like I said, 10, 11, 12. And I'm wandering the halls of a senior citizen's home waiting for somebody to say hello. Or I'd walk up and say, hi, my name is George. And I would go in there and I would spend time talking to these old cats who have seen a life that we don't even couldn't comprehend anymore. And I think that's where I learned not the value of listening necessarily, but what the point of listening is. And the point of listening to me is so that the person that you're connecting with actually feels seen and heard. Mm -hmm. You have to like the key to my whole life and career is I'm not faking it. I don't really care about the television or the radio component. I care about the human (laughs) connected to me. And I think that's, that's always been the thing that really got me. But in terms of who I modeled myself after, it wasn't so much interviewers, but I was, I was very much influenced by George Carlin and uh, Chuck D and Joe Strummer. So I was very much about um, cutting through the BS of life and calling out, you know, and fighting for people. And that to me was the thing that really drove me. So interviewers, not as much, but definitely, definitely Strummer and Carlin and, uh, and, um, and Chuck D from Public Enemy. How about that? So I got to say, I thought of you when uh, when Gordon Lightfoot uh, passed away. We spoke with Bedini on the air, and we spoke with Dave Hodge on the air, and I, I was I was thinking of reaching out to you because there was a, an incredible moment. Um, I'm part of Billy Bob Productions. We're the first promotion group in the city to ever ask John Prine to play in Montreal, and we sold out the Spectrum. Nice. Nobody else wanted to. Nobody nice. thought he could sell like a hundred tickets. And you do you still do shows from your home in Toronto? Because there was that memorable time, Prime near the end, uh, just came. He just put out that amazing album before he passed away, and Gordon Lightfoot was there, watching this unfold. Oh, it was crazy! And you know that album title too, "The Tree of Forgiveness." Could could there not be a more beautiful album title for the world we're in, "The Tree of Forgiveness"? Yeah, Prime Prime said he would come play the house. I had interviewed him before. I had a really good time with him, and so we just reached out to Gordon because we knew Gordon liked him and said, "Hey." Brian's coming to town. You want to come see? Because what's funny about Gordon Lightfoot, he had been to my house for an interview on his own. But I had Steve Earle play there once, and Gordon Lightfoot just showed up <laughs> to watch Steve Earle play. Gord just sat on the stairs and watched Earl play. So he said, yeah, I'll come by. He knew where I live, uh, where I lived. So he came by and sat there. And when John Prine told the story about seeing Gordon, I think John had played a show in Toronto, one of his first gigs in the city, when Prine was, uh, the riverboat, I think it was called, and 
Prime saw Lightfoot walk across the street singing a John Prime song. When John told that story and then sang that song to Gord, and then Gord started crying, mm. dude, everybody in the house. I started crying. Jim Cuddy was in the background from Blue Rodeo. Everybody started crying. We were just <laughs> completely overwhelmed. And I still, I still get emotional thinking about how sweet and pure that moment was. There were a couple of old timers, you know, we lost John next year. So uh, yeah, I do. I haven't had those shows in a minute because COVID shut everything down. Then when COVID kind of wrapped up, I was going to bring people back, but I knew that I was just going to get attacked for hosting super spreader events. So I just waited and I just waited. Uh, and I'm now, I'm now, um, working on the next artist to play in my house. And if I can pull it off, it'll be a really big one. By the way, if I pull it off, you have to come. Uh, I'm, I'm there. I'm into my. Spot I, if I, I can pull it off. I just spent a week in Toronto. My daughter's there. In fact, I used to. Oh, nice. I used to walk up and down Richmond Street, thinking well, maybe I'll spot George having a coffee or something. Where did the way, love? You know, by the way, you know the Habs got smoked last night. Well, and that hasn't even come up. Well, that's. I, where did this love come from? Some somebody who grew up where you grew up. I'm very, you know, I grew up listening to punk rock, so uh, I, I'm an adversarial person by nature. Uh. And so one of the one of the most uh, Toronto things you can do is uh, is not root for the Leafs. Well, here's what happened. I, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm a man of a certain vintage. So when I was a kid, the owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Harold Ballard, uh, had a real racist legacy towards Eastern Europeans. And I come from uh, half Greek, like Egyptian stock, but my mom, who raised me, is Ukrainian. Uh, and Polish. So I I grew up knowing or feeling that the Leafs hated people from my area of the world, which, by the way, Harold Ballard did. So I also knew that the Leafs had a really sketchy history with the Ushers. We heard rumors of that when we were kids. So to me, the Leafs were always an enemy organization. Um, and a lot of my family, when they came through Canada, I think, you know, for my, my, my grandfather was a huge Leafs fan. My uncle, they're both gone now, but my uncle was a big Bruins fan. Uh, another key influence in my life was a Red Wings fan. So in my family, we didn't get together to cheer with each other. We got together to cheer against each other. So I picked the Habs, um, and that's how we'd cheer against each other. And then, of course, I'm from the Matt Nasland era. So Nasland was my favorite hockey player, and probably still is my favorite hockey player of all time. So Matt's was just so exciting. I know he's not Eastern European, but just that kind of influence. We just loved it. Right. Uh, George Strombolopoulos, uh, we're wrapping up with George, who's uh, who just sat down with Getty Lee, my F in life. He was just on that tour, right, which brought him into Place des Arts. How good is the book, and and uh, where can we see this conversation? It's a fabulous book. Um, it's a really heartfelt story. Uh, Getty came to my house for an interview. We just posted it uh, yesterday, and he talks about, like, what, what, you, what I like about that book is Getty presents very sweet but Getty can carry a grudge, and he talks about it. So he's very honest in that book, and that's what I want. It's very heartwarming. It's very beautiful. It's very straightforward. He talk, it's, I think it's kind of an apology-slash-love letter to his wife. He tells some really dark stories about what he experienced with the band, of course, the losing of Neil. So it's all on my YouTube channel, The Strombo Show, which is where I'm putting all those interviews. So The Strombo Show YouTube channel, uh, subscribe, watch the video. But uh, Getty Lee's up there right now. And Neil, Neil Peart, if you're a Rush fan, Neil had been to my house for an interview. That's up there as well. So uh, we've got a lot of a lot of good Rush material on that page. And while we've been uh, finishing up with George, the United States has uh, opened up a 5-2 lead over Sweden. The, the Sweden, the United States, are going to win the gold medal at the World Junior Hockey Championships. They just added a sixth goal into an empty net. George, congratulations on a brilliant career and a well-earned uh, appointee to a member of the Order of Canada. You're so good at what you do. Keep going and look forward to uh, hanging out with you, whether it's the Lower East Side or uh, somewhere in Toronto. 
I appreciate you. Thank all three of you. Thanks for letting me on the show today. And uh, GHG, go Habs. <laughs> As the former host of the Punk Show on Much Music. Thank you to the Misfits. Thank you to George. We're coming right back with the NFL story and Eric Edholm on Melnick in the Afternoon on TSN 690.